Welcome to episode one of the Ground Floor podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ollie Rayhart, with my co-host over here, James Skeeth. Uh, our guest today is a very special guest. He's the co-founder and artistic director of Intermission Youth Theatre, and he's also the National Diversity Award winner for 2021. So please put your hands together for my mentor and my friend, Darren Raymond. Nice to have you. Thank you, man. Lovely to be here. How are you feeling, man? I know you're feeling... I, take a little second to appreciate Darren's feeling a bit worse for wear today, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Apart from, that, apart from that, it's lovely to be here yeah? and do this with you. Yeah, it's absolutely. a really exciting thing, man. And obviously, intermission has touched my life quite a lot. So what, what is intermission for anyone that doesn't know? So uh, intermission youth is uh, an organization that supports young people uh, from different boroughs in London that might be going through a, a tough time. Uh, we work with young kids that lack opportunities or don't know what they want to do with their life and and those that are kind of going off the beaten track so to speak um and we use theater as a discipline um to train them and uh, we also mentor these young people in all aspects of their life so education housing um social issues you know anything they're going through we just we just try to support them with that but um that don't re- that doesn't really answer the question because you need to come to intermission to to understand what it really is. That's so and, true. And, and obviously, you being a graduate of the organisation can speak on that. But yeah. um, when people ask me, I, I I often say, "Have you seen Sister Act?" And if the answer is yes, then I say, "Well, that's exactly what we are. We're like, <laughs> you know, young people in the building take over. Noise, yeah. laughter, energy." Yeah, you know what I mean, conversations and non non judgmental. So yeah, it really is a space. It's a space of its own. There's nowhere else that has the same energy as as intermission does, and it's yeah. like it's a really special thing that you've created. Oh bless you, man. Um, no, it's true, and it's and it's amazing work that you're doing. So um, so obviously the the nature of this podcast is essentially to focus on the early stages of stories. We think a lot of interviews will focus on the whole picture basically and I think not a lot of them necessarily break down the actual nitty-gritty of, of how you go about things and sort of people's stories of, of how they initially got started so if you sort of take a few minutes sort of just dive in um, sort of what your background was what you were doing before and then essentially how you got into founding founding intermission yeah so it was a funny old journey that took me to intermission I grew up in East London um, on a on a state and you know, it was kind of the stereotypical story, single parent, do you know what I mean? Not really a lot of positive moral, role models growing up, nothing meaningful to in, to engage me. And um, my mum, bless her heart, she sent me to a school outside of the borough because she felt that would be a deterrent, do you know what I mean? And, and, and change mm. things for my life. But to be honest with you, it made it worse. Mm. It was Westminster City, travelling from Old Street Station, taking the Northern Line, changing it. King's Cross on the Victoria line to Victoria and coming out and seeing a completely different walk of life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like high rises, people in suits looking content and, and the demographic was completely different. This was predominantly white males. Mm. And so that created a, a deeper injustice for me. Do you know what I mean? I, it, it made me question more like why things were the way they were. And then coming back, I, I felt that I needed to, to contribute to to the household, to success really. And the only way I knew how to do that was by the role models that I had around me, and that was crime. Mm. So, you know, from a young age, I got involved in, in crime, and, and that escalates. Um, and, you know, in my early, uh, late teens, early 20s, um, my life kind of took took a, a major turn when um, I was, you know, I, I kind of got, got a little sentence around the door. And for me, that, that wasn't really an awakening because... 
there was a lot of people in there that I knew, so it was just kind of regurgitating the 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 life really. But um, I got deeper and deeper into it, and then I got quite a, a, a big sentence, my second one, and then that's when when things really changed for me. And and can I ask how how long was that second sentence? That was six. You were in for six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Six did three, but to be honest with you, like. I didn't change because of prison. It was in spite of it. Mm. You know I mean, because I look back at that place, it's, there's not much going on in there. Not no no rehabilitation. They're not really treating people as individuals. You're dehumanized. Do you know what I mean and devalued and all those kind of things? So I was just a, a few things happened for me that you know contributed to to where I am now. It wasn't one thing. When people often say to me, "How did you get into to doing what you did?" It's just not it's not a Hollywood answer. Mm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different things that you need in life. Um, and I was just lucky to, to get some of them and, and change uh, my trajectory. But I was never involved in the arts as a kid. Right. Never. Went to school. You know, school was, I found educa education difficult, not from a learning point of view, but just from being engaged. Engaged and yeah, 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 stuff that. like that. But yeah, art, art was never something that I was involved in. So it was by pure chance and accident that I got into the arts and, and ended up at intermission. So that's that's the next thing, really. So obviously taking us back, you're in prison, you're reflecting on what's going on, you're thinking about what you can do differently. And is that where you encountered Rob and Janine? Uh, so Rob and Janine are co-founders of Intermission. And the first time I met them, I was uh, doing some work. I was on Rottle, that release on temporary license. Mm. And I was doing poetry uh, f representing the prison at the time. And so I got out to do it. And we went to a building in Borough High Street, not far from here, actually, mm. and um, did some work. And after I got talking to, it was the room was, was packed with clergymen and, and some other people. And I got talking to Rob. And it was a genuine, nice conversation. Didn't think much of it. Do you know what I mean? But he was really intrigued by me and, and my story. So we just got talking and then went back and then cut a long story short. When I got released, I um, I got offered a tour um, of Shakespeare as a fellow. And so I took it. And where we were rehearsing was a church in, in Knightsbridge called St. Saviour's. And when I, I very up, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when I turned up for the first day of the rehearsal, it was Rob that was at the door to greet me. And I'm like, I recognise his face. And um, yeah, the welcome was really nice. Do you know what I mean? It was mm. something like the prodigal son. I was a little bit kind of, hold on a minute, why, why are you so kind of, chill out, mate. But, you know, <laughs> but, um, but he turned out to be a really nice man and he's, you know, he's, he's, my, he's, he's like a father figure to me and a, you know, mm. and a great mentor. Yeah. Mm. And that's the thing, you've managed to pass that down to uh, to hundreds of young people yourself now because you, you're like a mentor to plenty of people now, including myself, I'm proud to say. Um, but so that's the thing. So you're in that situation, you're brought into St. Saviour's and you end up taking young people on and sort of and working with young people. And that's obviously what intermission's about. So essentially for anyone who might be, again, in a similar situation, maybe they're looking at, you know, something to do with youth work or something to do with charity or setting something up for themselves. But they think I have absolutely no idea how to go about that. Where do I even find people? You know, whether it comes to funding the kids themselves, you know, location, whatever it is. So you had the location, obviously. But so sort of day one you sort of have the plan with Rob and Janine, this is what we're going to do. We're going to work with young people through Shakespeare and through this mechanism. What's the first step? What's the first thing you do to actually sort of get it, get it off the ground? Well, I'm, I've always been an action man. So I, when I came into it, I didn't, I, to be honest with you, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? That was I, the best story. I, yeah, I think a lot of people don't though, right? When they first start out, yeah. it's just they follow their gut and they kind of go with it and learn from the mistakes. Right? Yeah, 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 100%. So I, all I knew is that I wanted to engage young people that were going through a tough time. Yeah. 
And I'd finished the tour and I'd been doing, like, you do warm-up games as actors and stuff like that. So I thought, all right, let me take some of these games that I've done and do it with young people, see how they respond. So I just said to Janine, can we use the basement downstairs? She said, yeah. Um, in terms of engaging young people, obviously grew up on the estate, knew a lot of people. Mm. Um, so I talked to friends and stuff like that and said, look, man, if your little brother's interested in this and wants to come down or your little sister, whatever, send them. And obviously because of, you know, that relationship, they trust me. So they would send, you know, their, their siblings down. Mm. And that's how it started. It started with about four or five young people, to be honest with you, not a large number. How, how important do you reckon that kind of relatability is? You know, from the students to to people like yourself? I think it's important, mm. but I don't think it's a be all and end all. I think there's people out there that might not be, be able to relate with to young people in a certain way, but can still impact their life. Like, you know, if somebody said to me, Robin Janine would be two instrumental people in your life when I was 16, I'd tell yeah. you, I've got nothing can come with them whatsoever. Mm. How yeah. can that, you know? But, um, yeah, I think it, I think it pays, it pays to, to, to have, experience maybe similar things to, to the to the group you're working yeah. with. But like I said, I don't think that's 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 the be all and end all. But um yeah, so so four of them turned up and uh we just started playing some games and they really enjoyed it. We were laughing and I think that's a really important thing, do you know what I mean? Because uh growing up in 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 the inner city of London, particularly when I grew up, I'm, I'm an eighties baby. And growing up it was it was, you know, they weren't they weren't we had fun times but a lot of it was about the struggle and trying to break out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, was there any just to cut in, Was there any sort of persuasion that you had to do? Because I can imagine if you take kids that are especially kind of a bit like disenfranchised and saying, "Do you want to come into a church and play drama games?" I can't imagine a lot of them would be receptive to it. Did you have to kind of say, "Look, it will be a fun thing," or were they sort of generally on board when you even mentioned the idea? No, I don't think there was a lot of persuading. You know, to be, mm. if I'm being totally honest, when they turned up, they knew what they, were, they knew they were turning up for some kind of engagement in mm. the arts, right? Because whoever they spoke to would have said to them, yeah. "It's a drama program." So they came with 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 that energy to to get involved. I think that's that that moment when you step into a room with young people, that for those first five minutes are, are, are very very important. I think that's where they dis, they can engage or disengage or yeah. connect with you or disconnect with you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think the problems we have when when we work when we're talking about organisations that engage young people is that if there's a disconnect and that young people that young person stays on the program, it's doing more it's more more harm to the young person than good. Mm. I think it's really important who we're who we're matching our young people with. Do you know what I mean? You asked a question earlier whether it's, whether you need to be be able to relate to them or not. I think there's a spiritual energy. There's something that's unspoken when a young person connects with a mentor, and we need to be. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. We need to be really kind of in tune with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And if it's not working, we need to be honest to ourselves and say, actually, I'm not the right person for this yeah. young, for this young person. So, how did you go about building that kind of trust, if you like, with your students or kind of the engagement? Do you know what? There was no method to it. Like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was just going in there, and I suppose there was a method. I was just being me. I was being honest. Do you know what I mean? If they had a question for me, I'd answer it. If they did something that I didn't like, I'd cuss them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, You'd be surprised it, how much that makes a difference, though. It does. Don't, people don't do that. No one does it. No. Yeah. yeah. And it makes immediately it makes you almost feel more at ease when when they do. Yeah, because you go, this is a person. It's, 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 this it's isn't an idea yeah, exactly. or an yeah. institution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there wasn't a lot of a lot of method to it in the first instance. I mean, now, mm. you know, we're we're a, a much more grown up organisation, and and when we get to this conversation, it's interesting because, you know, when as you get bigger as a, as an organisation and the work you do, you lose some of that, you know, that magic that that kind mm. of the organization began with mm. because there's so many policies that have to come in and red, tape, red tape and all that yeah. kind of stuff so you know that's a, that's an interesting conversation yeah. in itself but certainly in the 
in the beginnings of this work, it was it was you know it was about just being there to respond to young people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you're in a basement in a church. You've got about you know four young people. How do you take it to a place where it's actually like a proper cohort? Because now, obviously, Intermission puts on productions. Obviously, I've been privileged enough to be a part of one. Yeah. But as in, so now you have, you know, sort of whole stage, you have, you know, audiences and you put on full-on professional theatre productions. How do you go from four kids playing, you know, drama games to, to that? What's the next step? So when we was doing those those drama games, it was, as I said, they had a really good time and so I, and they wanted to come back. So we, I said, look, we'll do this every two weeks. And this four turned into six, six turned into eight, because, you know, young people talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had eight in that first year, and we're doing just, you know, games. And then I was like, this is where the persuasion had to come in, mm. like, because I was running out of games. And I'm just like, oh, they're, they're going <laughs> <laughs> to leave, leave yeah. soon if I don't, you know, <laughs> switch this up. So I said to them, all right, we're going to put on a play. And then, um, and this was the big one of the biggest mistakes, but not now, like, retrospectively. But I was yeah. like, they was like, what play are we going to do? I said, we're going to do Shakespeare. Because that's all I knew, innit? Yeah, I did Shakespeare tour. That's what I did when I was behind the door. And they're like, Because, yeah, yeah, because you, 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 you just to touch on that, because you mentioned before, and obviously I know this, but um, but for the listeners, you were doing Shakespeare before intermission started, even when you were, you were reading it when you were in the pen. And then after yeah, yeah. you came out, you did a tour in Othello, right? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. So they were, well, my first engagement, well, my second, my first was in school. But that was a horrible experience. And then mm. when I, I experienced Shakespeare again, it was behind the door and it was, you know, it, it kind of spoke to me. It was looking at a fellow mm. and um, and I didn't know he had, uh, uh, he wrote black characters. I, you know, I was completely unaware of that. But that story of a, of a, of a man searching for love and belonging and identity was something that I was going through at the time. Mm. So it, it, you know, it was poignant for me and, I, and it made me want to know more about the story. And that's how I got into it. But then, Working with these youngsters, I was like, yeah, we we do a Shakespeare play. There's like hey. one of them literally saying, doing no effing, and you know who it is as well. Um, and he bolted out the door, so I had to run after. I'd run after him. No, you don't understand. Come back, come back, come back. And you know, you're losing the youngsters. So this is where the persuasion comes in. This, yeah. is, where persu- yeah. this is where the persuasion comes in. Uh, do you know what I mean? Anyway, I got got them back in, sat them down, and I was like trying to convince them that you know it's good to do Shakespeare. And I'm like, what are you talking? Why are you trying to convince these? Put yourself in their shoes. Mm. Are you going to be interested in that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, all right, cool. Forget Shakespeare. We won't do Shakespeare. Um, we, we'll do some other stuff. And then I started doing some improvisation around the themes of Shakespeare's Caesar. It was Julius Caesar, the play yeah. that I wanted to look at them with. And I chose that play because I thought it was, for me, it was the ultimate knife crime. You know, Caesar gets stabbed to death behind his back by some conspirators. And, and in 2008, yeah. that's, that was rife on our streets, you know, mm. knife crime and stuff like that. Still is, yeah. Still is, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But um, so we started looking at the scenarios, not talking about Shakespeare at all, the situation that the characters find themselves in. And I would be speaking about, you know, situations and talking about how that responds in their life. And then we do some improv around it. And that we that went on for about six weeks. And then I was like, and they created some beautiful stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? And I was like, it would be a shame to lose this. And I was at home one day and I was like, what happened? What would happen if I merge Shakespeare's text with what these young people have come up with? And I did that. I started going through the text and taking out lines from Shakespeare and mixing it with what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, it was it was interesting. It read quite well. I was reading, I was thinking, oh, okay, it's interesting. So, you know, the French Roman countryman speech, lend mm. me your ears. I come to bury season not to praise him. So I kind of flipped it and it was friends, road men, man them, give me a second. I come to bury season not to big him up. Yeah, the evil yeah. that men do lives after them. The good more time you see it in their heart like Caesar. And that's exactly how these young people were speaking. Yeah. Yeah. But the rhythm was so akin to Shakespeare's rhythm, the iambic pentameter, that heartbeat, ba-boom, 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 you know, was, was running through what they were creating. 
So I knew that I was onto something. Do you know what I mean? And um, when we when I brought the text back and we read it, they were just in they were in love and they were started to they were recognizing the characters from Shakespeare. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and they were asking questions. So I was like, well, why don't we open the text and find the answers? Yeah. So it was them wanting to read Shakespeare. Do you know what I mean? And not me saying Shakespeare, Shakespeare, yeah. Shakespeare. When you realize that it's all stories and it's all the same, you don't have to sell it. Like that is an amazing thing. I mean, in school, even as an actor in school, I hated Shakespeare, mm. couldn't stand it. Yeah. And, and it was intermission and it was you that allowed me to actually fall in love with Shakespeare yeah, because yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, it's just a story. Yeah. Like Romeo and Julia is literally just two teenagers who are in love yeah, 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 and they yeah, want to be yeah. with each other, but they can't, it's complicated. Absolutely. It's just, and as you said, you know, Julius Caesar, like it's knife crime. Mm. Like mm. it's, they're just stories. And when you, when you can flip that and you realize it, the whole fight and the sort of pushback of each side just goes away. Mm. You, just, you can just make it into, into art. And Shakespeare was slang, as you've famously said in interviews yeah, and stuff, Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. The line about Chaucer that you have, it's a great line, but I'd, if, you, if you could, that, the point about <laughs> Chaucer, it's a great point. Yeah, 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 because I always, you know, when I first, when we first did that play Wasted in 2008, that's what we called it, the um, reimagining of Julius Caesar. It, the tabloids were all over it. There was stories in the paper about what he was doing because people couldn't really understand it. You had Shakespeare, you had kind of young kids from the estate, you had predominantly the African diaspora speaking Shakespeare, hip hop music. There was just like, what mm. is this? And then there were some articles that are talking about dumbing down Shakespeare and, you know, their language being, um, you know, kind of colloquial and, 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 and ruining the English language and all that. I think you're always going to get some negative press whenever you 100%. And, that, and, and that we all know that negative cool. press, you can use that to your advantage yeah. as well. But, yeah. you know, but one of the things what Ali's talking about, what I often say when people ask me about language and young people, I say, listen, if Chaucer was shown Shakespeare, it'd be horrified by the bastardization of the English language. So, you know, Shakespeare changed the English language yeah. and young people today are doing the same thing. Do you mm. know what I mean? And we better, we, we better wake up because, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're rising, mate. And when you can, I was in hospital the other day um, and I was just sitting, sitting in the hospital when there was a doctor and a nurse and I don't know what the other person was. But when I was listening to their conversation, I'm just like, look, look at this language. The doctor said, yeah, fam, blood, this. Really? really? Bro? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's and right. That's, and, and I'm, and I'm, man's got to get saying. IV still. My knee's at Oxycontin stat, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a beautiful thing, you get me? 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Okay, so, so you put on this production. How? Because I think that's this is the stuff that we really want to delve into on the pod. How do you go from like you're just you're just with a few kids in a basement to getting audience members? Getting did you get any press coverage? Did you yeah. costumes? All, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, practically. Yeah. So, so I was lucky. So we had the venue, which was Saint Saviour's Church. It was uh, it was redeveloped in in the late nineties, uh, and there was a hundred seater theatre on the top floor. So I didn't need to find the venue. The venue was there. So it made it was a no brainer to put on a performance, um, and I knew that you know we had eight people in or 12 people in the production and I knew 12 if if those 12 bring two people each you know you, you've already got 40 you know 40, well, what's, what's the mass? 44 people or whatever yeah. in your theatre and so so for me it was you know it was okay cool we can put this on because we have um the resources to do it in terms of the space we had the most important thing which is the product as soon as you've got the product do you know what I mean mm. if, if anybody wanted advice for me is make the product whatever your product is that's what you need to focus on and then the rest will fall into place I think if the product is 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 something that somebody wants and so we had this we put it on um in terms of uh marketing I was I created a flyer um I'm not sure how, how, how rife social media was back in the day I certainly didn't know a lot about it so it wasn't all over it wasn't that but um I had met somebody when I was on tour who told me about a friend of his 
a guy, I can't remember his surname, Kevin something, who's a West End producer. And he said to me, because uh, I was writing a play when I was on tour as well about the abolition of slavery. And he said, listen, if uh, um, when you finish that play, uh, if you want, send it to me and I'll send it to my mate, a West End producer. So I'd remembered that conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so when I had this play that I'd written, I said, I, I phoned this guy and I said to him, look, I've written a play. It's not the, the, it's not the one about slavery, but it's a Shakespeare adaptation and I need help promoting it. Do you reckon your guy would help out? And he put me in touch and he's a lovely guy. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he charged me, but it weren't, it weren't, <laughs> it, weren't, it, weren't, it, weren't it weren't a lot though. And yeah, the coverage yeah. that he gave, that we got from it, you know, like I said, it was all over the tabloids and stuff mm. like that. So that was just a, me seeing a moment and taking that opportunity and, yeah. you know what I mean, and exploiting it. Mm -hmm. Always remembering, I think, the, the connections you make in life. Definitely. Because if, you know, and if you're in a, if you're in the right place, those opportunities will reveal themselves to, re reveal themselves to you. Definitely. Could not agree more. No, yeah, I completely yeah. agree. We've noticed that just starting this podcast. As soon as you actually just ask people, you'd be mm. amazed at what the response is. Yeah, and yeah, staying yeah. in touch with people makes a big, big difference. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It's really, I think... Something I, that's so straightforward, but it's so, un, like, overlooked yeah. at the moment. Yeah. I think people really underestimate just how much you can do just by asking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you don't even have to ask in, like, a salesy way. You no. just ask. You say, hey, I've got this idea. Would you be interested? Yeah, and exactly. you'd be surprised how many people are responsive to that. He, exactly. he's, kudos to him. He's, he's right. amazing at that. He's reached out to so many people. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of them have come back and fortunately yeah. said, you know, they'd love to they'd love to come on. And, and it's just amazing what you can do yeah, when yeah, you just yeah. ask. Yes, it is. It's a, mass, it's a massive skill to be able to do it as well because a lot of people think that they're, you know, they're intruding or they're, mm. they're, they're, you know what I mean, they're kind of putting pressure on people. I've just learned that you know, not too long ago, that actually, what's the worst somebody can say? No. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and you move mm -hmm. on. Um, and don't give yourself a no before they do. Exactly. Give them a chance yeah, to say true. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. And um, so, yeah, so, so he helped with the publicity. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff that was going on. I mean, if we were to put that play on now in the same way I pull it on in 2008, we'd probably get shut down because health and safety was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. was non-existent. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, you know, actors and, and how long you can work an actor for before they need a break, all that kind of right, stuff. Right, I didn't right, know any of that okay. kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? But I'm just, but that's, you know, but yeah. It's the world we're living This is what we're talking yeah, about, yeah, bureaucracy, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. It's, it's, now it's flipping, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to do anything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Without stressing out. We've got people that want to come in where well, they can just sit on the yeah. stairs. They can't actually sit on the stairs, yeah. right? Really? Yeah. They just want to see the show, but they can, they can stand in the fire. It's, yeah. it's, cool. it's a snowflake generation. That's, yeah. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so there was a lot that we didn't do, right? But. I think that what we did do, right, is we just put the show on. Like I said, do you know what I mean? We had the product. Mm -hmm. We said, we're going to do this, and we did it. And you learn, you learn from, I mean, every you know this, everybody knows this. You learn from doing, mm -hmm. right? I've been in the game now for 16 years as an AD, uh, you know, and I came through, my route is unconventional. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I, don't, I didn't do drama school. I didn't do a directing course. I didn't do any of that. Mm -hmm. Everything that I learned is on is on the job, do you know what I mean? They're the best ones. <laughs> they are. Unconventional roots are the most fun. They're the, yeah. they're the most enjoyable. And they're the most, you can learn so much from them. Yeah. And it's, it's the fun. best story. It's fun learning. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a, it was a good, good crap. Yeah. In, in terms of the production, um, do, you, do you remember what the budget was? <sighs> you know what? If I, was to, if I was to take a shot, I'd say it was somewhere between maybe four and, and eight thousand right. pounds. And so, how did you get the money? Was that was that like a was that the church or was that like a donation thing or? No, it's, it's a good story. Yeah. So, when I was doing um, Shakespeare behind the door, uh, we did a performance, and friends and family could come and watch it. And um, 
after we got we had a little bit of time to talk to everybody and I was talking to some guy um Mark Woodruff and he he worked at the Sainsbury's Trust which is a, a donate a, a trust fund uh, that that supports a lot of work in in Africa and Asia and do some incredible work and he said to me after look we st- stay in touch I'd love to kind of see your journey and, and where you go it's as simple as that mm. you know I mean gave me his card mm. and when I was putting on the production I knew that we needed some money so I looked at his card and I thought let me shoot this geezer an email mm. and see if he he can give us some money so I emailed him and I said look I'm putting on a play with some young people whatever da, 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 da. and he said to me all right cool send me one page of on a four paper of what it is you want to do that was it I said that's it he said yeah that's it so I typed up what I was trying to do sent it to him and then he gave us ten thousand pounds come well, on well, okay yeah come th- on. Th- he gave us thirty thousand over three years so ten thousand wow. a year and that was the seed funding for okay intermission was it did he say it up front i'm going to give you 30 for three years or was it like each year you'd, you'd go back to him no and he say, said up front we'll give right. you the same for trust give you 30 a transfer of thirty thousand. wow ten thousand each year and that was you know that was just from wow. somebody i yeah. spoke to after again similar to just from asking yeah, yeah yeah just just from asking yeah and that's how the, the whole youth uh, uh you know that was the springboard for it yeah yeah so once you once you got that funding what was the next step before putting the production on was working out how and what we needed to put that production on. So I, I knew, you know, that we needed creatives. I knew that um, I needed a set designer. And this was things that I just learned about when I was on tour. You know, I was on tour and I realised that somebody makes a set. I realised that somebody controls the lights. I realised that, you know, somebody looks after box office and all those kind of things. So I sat down with Rob and Janine and I said, you know, y- we need to bring some people in to support us with this yeah. work um, and create a, a create. Um, put together a creative list and then just went out to people that I knew uh, and they put me in touch with people and we got a set designer on, we got a lighting designer on board um, and uh, we got somebody to help with um, like the production management side mm-hmm. um, and that made it a lot easier because there were people that knew a little bit about yeah. what they were doing mm-hmm. so uh, you know it, made, it meant I could learn from them Yeah, and I learned very quickly you know to be a good manager you need to know how to hire good people so as a valuable skill to learn very, very early on. Yeah. Very, yeah. very, very. Very true. Everything you don't know, you just bring in people that do. Yeah. 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 I mean. Where did you go about looking for those people? So just friends. Mm. You know, I, I was phone up somebody and say, look, man, I'm putting on a page, you know, any good stage managers. I mean, this was so so long ago. So, you know, I, I couldn't get, tell you exactly where they came from, but it was through a network that I had been involved in mm. and one person speaking to somebody else for me. And I suppose, you know what, like, I'm, I'm under no illusion that my route helped as well. Mm. So when I would talk... In what to, sense? In terms of where, how, where I'd come from, what I was doing. Mm. So people would see that I'm, you know, this, my story and what I was trying to do. And there's some great people in this world that, you know, really kind of believe and support that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I got more yeses than I got noes. Do you know what I mean? And maybe I was fortunate. Um, I'm not telling everybody to go out there and, and do crime. That's yeah. what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying my journey is just... Um, you know, from when I came through what I came through and then when I decided to change my life around, it just kind of attracted people to mm. me that wanted to help yeah. and still do. Use your story, whatever your story is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, so I've got a question for you. So um, I, I feel like I might know what you're going to say, but I'm still curious to hear. So in terms of hiring people, right? And you said hire, hire good people. 
What's your view with um, bringing someone onto your team who is already qualified for the job as opposed to bringing someone on who's not qualified but you think they could be a good fit and the personality fits? Because I think that's really important. So again, taking Barney's off camera, our, our producer over here. Barney's, Barney's a producer on this podcast and on another podcast that I do. And he had absolutely no experience with video editing or production or anything. But he had the, he had the enthusiasm and the character and the drive and the interest in the industry that he wanted to learn. And it's proven to be a fantastic decision and he's doing a fantastic job. Well done, Bernie. Whereas, whereas uh, Barney. <laughs> Bernie. Barney. Although we should call him Bernie now. <laughs> That's his new nickname. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which I think is, 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 is a lot more valuable than maybe just going onto a sort of a, a recruitment site and trying to find a guy who has Photoshop in his bio and, and you, know, you don't really know how it's going to fit. Whereas I knew his character, which I think was more important. And obviously now that you've hired people from Intermission, I know that you have hired graduates as well. Um, so yeah, could you maybe touch on a little bit sort of how you approach hiring and whether you think, what, what emphasis you put on each of those factors? So good question, man. Um, obviously, I am pro people that don't have the experience or don't have the opportunities. That's why Intermission was started in the first place. Mm. So I'm always going to be looking for that talent that isn't being exposed. Or so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a great believer that we haven't seen the best footballer. We haven't seen the best lawyer. We haven't seen the best doctor because they never turned up or they never got the opportunity. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I'm always looking for those people. That's a clip. Woof. Yeah, That's yeah, I'm, good... al I'm always searching for those people, man, to give them opportunities. And, like, hiring is... Uh, I talk about this a lot because I just I just think it's uh, a farce, man. Do you know what I mean? When you kind of look for people and they, they present themselves on their CV or whatever, they've done these 100,000 things and then they turn up in front of you, they speak a good game, then two weeks into the job, you're just like, what the hell have we done? Do you know what I mean? It happens so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really think... He's, he's a recruitment specialist. Nine so years in. Yeah. yeah, nine years oh, in. So I've, I've seen a lot of... Yeah, I've yeah, seen a lot yeah, of that. Yeah. So I think that needs to be shaken up anyway. Yeah, so, you know, for me, I always go, in answer to your question, I always look for people that don't have the opportunities, but present the skills. I've got a mate, um, we grew up together, and he could sell anything to anybody, right? He's big, his name's Biggs. And like... When I got into film, because when I came out, I made a short film. That was one of the first things we did. And he was basically a producer on this, but he never knew he was producing. Do you know what I mean? He was talking to people, mm. making sure everyone was all right, getting people, you know, comfortable, doing all the kind of stuff. So charming. Mm. Um, you know, he's going through a difficult time at the moment. And I look at that and I just think nobody realised that there was, you know, a, a producer there and an excellent one. Like, I mean... He could top so many producers out there just by the skill that he has, but because he never got the opportunity or because we grew up where we weren't exposed to these jobs, you know, it's, you're looking at a waste of talent. So I'm always out there looking for, for talent that, that is not kind of being given those opportunities. And if you were trying to sort of so shake up a kind of recruitment process or looking for the right person, how would you, in an ideal world, go about doing that? Great question. Yeah, I mean... Hard to answer. It is a really hard question to answer. Um... Yeah, I, d I don't know what I do. If I look at what we do at Intermission when we're hiring, you know, like recently, well, we're currently hiring for, for for four jobs at the moment and we're going to market for these jobs. And I've had conversations with our board of trustees because the first time we went out, we didn't really get look get what we were looking for. Mm. And and it seems like we're going to the same places. And I'm just like, do you know what? I think we need, not headhunting, but kind of, we need to go out there and, and find those people ourselves. Yeah. So I would probably do that a form of headhunting do you know what I mean I think when we talk about headhunters they go out there and they headhunt people that are brilliant at the job that are really working and doing it mm. but I'd like to create a headhunter that can go into places where the where, where these ta these talents are do you know what I mean 
where nobody kind of goes to look. The kind of less obvious. Yeah, the lost, mm. the less obvious talent. Yeah. The ones that are not working. Yeah. The ones, you know, the geezer on the road that's 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 got an operation and selling, you know, I mean, it's, it's not good, but might be selling drugs and controlling the whole estate. Mm. That's um, amazing entrepreneurship. Yeah. It's dealing with numbers, yeah. clientele. Yeah, supply and know, demand. Marketing, yeah, yeah. all those kind of things. So how do we get that person away from that which is, you know, not conducive for their future or productive in any way, and say, actually, here's, here's another option. You know, so, I, I mean, it's, it, it will take a lot more thinking than that. And I know there'll be a lot of people disagreeing with what I'm saying, but, you know, I, I would like to have a conversation in terms of recruitment than, than that way. No, yeah. I think that's a good way of looking at it, to be honest with you. Like, it's tapping into, as you say, the people that are the kind of less obvious, mm. less obvious people in the room, right? And also, there's you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. You know, we're we're probably two of the only kids. We we both went to a really good school, as mm. as you know. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't really come from means, but all the kids in our school did, and we were probably two of the only kids. I think we it was, were the only two. Uh, and I think uh, someone else as well. Uh, we were the only kids that didn't go to uni. And uh, and that was a very big thing, you know. That was a lot of like he tilted heads, like, oh, it's ooh. very frowned upon. Yeah, frowned upon. but I I I feel like it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, I like, had no managed mistakes to... about that at all. No regrets. Still says to me to this day, it's like, do you think you should have gone to university? I'm saying, absolutely not. Yeah, like because you got to live life and you got to yeah. make your own story. And in, in your, I'm not saying obviously if you go to uni you can't make your own story, but I think the point is there's no right or wrong way to no. do it. And I think it's that same thing of like, you know, people have those transferable skills. And if you spot that in someone, yeah, yeah. that's a skill in itself, yeah, being definitely. able to spot those qualities yeah, yeah, in someone, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. How come you didn't go uni? What was your choice behind that? So for me personally, I just thought it wasn't worth the money that it cost. Right. I think, you know, I saw my dad was running his own business and he was doing and he was doing well for himself. And I thought there's no, and he didn't go to university. Um, and I just thought there's no, for the money that it cost at that point, there's no real, there's not enough of an upside when I can go straight into work now mm. and have a decent job now and just slowly work my way up. And I think you just mature far quicker going into that world at 18, 19 than you would do kind of, you know, going out, getting drunk and doing mm. all that kind of stuff at uni. And look, you get the kind of the social experience, if you want to call it that, that maybe, you know, I didn't have. But I think as a, yeah, as a kind of, you know, route, I have no regrets about doing that at all. Mm. Yeah, I didn't go to uni. I, 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 I'd like to say that I thought all about all of that ahead of time but it was only in hindsight that I realized a lot of that about uh about you know well I didn't think it was worth the cost and sort of around the cost benefit analysis and when this doesn't really make sense but at the time it was purely because I wasn't interested in anything yeah and I was really disenfranchised with life especially education but life particularly mm. um and uh I just lost my dad about a couple of months before my a-levels and um and I just had no like once my dad started getting sick, I knew that I didn't care about school. Immediately, I was like, this is so unimportant to me. And I just stopped turning up to lessons and I would just like make music and smoke weed and just kind of piss my time away. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then after school, all my friends were off at uni and that was, you know, in its shit in its own way because, you know, they're all out of the city and, you know, living these cool lives and living away from home and having these new experiences. Um, yeah, that was tough. That was, that, 19 that was, was the tough, hardest yeah. year of my life for sure because I, I felt very alone and I didn't have any siblings. It was just me and my mum and, and dad was gone and my friends were there and they were always said, you know, you can always come up and visit us or call us, but you know, it's not the same as having them mm. down the road and coming to kick it with you. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just like, I had no interest and I knew, I think I was self-aware enough that I knew that if I went to uni, I would have ended up just going just to party. Like I would have purely gone to party. I wouldn't have gone to study and I would have come out and then I would have been 40 grand in debt with nothing. And then I would have been fucked. The, num the numbers are crazy, honestly. When <laughs> yeah. you look at people coming out now with like 50, 60 grand of debt, you just it's think, mental. how do you get out from that? And in America, it's, it's, it's like 100, oh, it's, yeah, it's, 100 it's, 200 yeah, in some yeah, places. It's huge. 400, I think, yeah, in some places. Unbelievable. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Okay, so... so Sorry, I was going to say, go, yeah. so going back then, so yeah. you've, done, you've done your first production. 
right? How do you then, what's the kind of like scaling process from going from, you know, four to eight kids to then, well, how, big, how big are your sort of productions now? So we take 40 young people a year now. 40 young people a year, okay. Yeah. So how literally you, 10 times. Literally 10 times. How do yeah. you then, what's the kind of scaling process for that? After your first production, so it scaled itself. To be honest with you, um, after that first production, obviously with all the media attention that we had, uh, there was a lot of people interested in coming and bringing their young people to be part of the organisation, part of an organisation that wasn't formed. May I say, as well. So it was like you know, it was kind of responding to to the need really. Mm. When I'm seeing that young people were saying, "Oh, how do I get involved?" And mm. I'm saying, "Okay, cool. We need to set up intermission. We need to set up a youth strand to what we're doing." So you know, it, it kind of, they've got somewhere to come. And so that's what we've done. You know, we kind of officiated Intermission Youth uh, Theatre, um, had a had a meeting with Rob and Janine. We sat down and said, like, what is this? That's a really important stage, I think, talking about what it is you want to do, um, what your, you know, in terms of your mission, your aim, um, and, and and how you're going to execute that. So those com- those seeding conversations were really important. You know, it was good for, for me to kind of just talk about um, what it is I, I wanted to do and how I wanted to give back um, and then from that you know it was it was realised that we could work every Saturday with a group of 15 young people so to, you know talking to teachers and stuff like that in terms of the ratio of a mentor to a young person all those kind of things in terms of you know w- what is what what is kind of feasible um, and then um, they I wasn't on the payroll as well bear in mind so when I did the first that first year I was just volunteering okay um and when we kind of spoke about setting up intermission youth Robin Jeanine said well you know we need to find a way to pay you mm. uh because you know that that's that's the kind of people they were and they didn't want to exploit what I was doing so they went to the the bishop mission fund so the the uh the bishop of london has a fund which uh, you know, you can apply to if you're doing yeah. youth work in, in, in the Church of England. And was this after the first production? This was after it, yeah. So for the first production, you weren't, you were just doing it completely off your completely own back? Completely off my own back, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, sorry, and then, um, yeah, so we applied to the bishop, the London Bishop Fund and uh, we were successful. Uh, How hard is it to get funding from that? I mean, I don't know, to be honest with you, but we got it. Um, well, funding. It's all that matters, really. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know where the loser's at right now, <laughs> boy, but we got it. Yeah. yeah. But funding is is hard yeah. anyway. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I imagine it's not easy to get it. But uh, it was a it was a more difficult application than what I had to do for the first tranche of funding. Yeah. Um, and we got I think we got thirty thousand, and then um, yeah. So then I became a paye of the organisation. Mm. You know, and that that just kind of for me having a, a secure income. I mean, I had one kid at the time as mm. well. Uh, and remember, I'm still resettling, so I'm going through, you know, my own my own stuff mm. as well. And it also adds a legitimacy to it as well. Like you've got a you've got a payslip for yeah. something that that you're building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big yeah, moment. That's yeah. a big moment when you actually get your first payslip when you're yeah. building something. It's a big yeah. yeah, it's a big moment. It's bigger when you see the tax that it takes as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go down that loophole <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We've got a guy. We'll put you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So those conversations and we set it up. You know, we kind of. Uh, it wasn't as hard as I'd imagine somebody starting from scratch because um, the church is we we became part of the church the organisation so we mm-hmm. were set up as the, the the youth charity of the church so all that kind of bureaucracy was already in place for us yeah do you know what I mean it didn't have to start a new organ a new company okay. you didn't have to go through all that you know company's house and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah um, 
So like you know, so it was it was different, I imagine, from some somebody who was who, who might be starting now. But um but the same, you know, a lot of the same things I think I had I had come across. I think, you know, young a young person maybe starting off I, I would be able to advise in terms of you know, like loopholes or not loopholes, sorry, like obstacles and challenges that may, you might find along the way in, in setting up um an organisation. Um, you know, for us it was it was one of the, one of the things that we had to kind of battle with was being part of the church, but also welcoming young people that might not have a faith. Mm. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and so we were like we were a faith based organization, but we were secular in the term in in the way that we worked and engaged with young people. Yeah, I remember even when I came, that was the whole thing. Well, you like, didn't think you was going to get in at all, did you? you yeah, that was yeah. That's not even something I would I thought about to be honest. But yeah, I mean, it makes. Yeah. yeah, and I, but I not even because of that. I, just, I didn't think I was going to get in because I didn't think I would. I, would, I, I remember was, I would I, yeah, the I, demographic I or whatever, and I was just I was so over the moon I couldn't believe it. I remember yeah. I went for my interview and I was like never, and then I got the call. I remember where I was when I got the call that I got into intermission. Was it? I was walking down Labrador Grove. I know exactly which part of the block I was on. I was approaching Tesco's and then I got a call and he was like, "Yeah, we'd like to invite you." And I was like, "Are you serious?" And I got onto the platform and I was like, "Fucking beaming." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, was, it was good to have you on the program, man. It's great to. Um, so yeah, so you know, it's just it's a battling with that. Um, and battling with how we had to, to grow the organisation because, um, you know, we put on... So we kind of made the decision to work with 15 young people in the second year in 2009. Okay. And that number came about just through conversations. Um, I was doing a lot of motivational speaking around the country as well, so I would always promote the work in terms of what we're doing. So we yeah. were... We we didn't really struggle with intake. Like mm. We'd have a lot of kind of flow of young people applying to be part of the organisation. Um, and then we were apply when they were coming, it was like, okay, cool, these young people are coming... Uh, we can only take 15, but 25 have applied. So how does that work? So, and then, you know, and then we realized that we needed to kind of create a, um, a form, an equals opportunity form where they can kind of fill in stuff about themselves. So we made sure that we weren't kind of excluding anybody or, or being discriminatory. So these things are just finding out as, as it came along. You know, a lot of the words that I'm using now, that wasn't in my vocab yeah, 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 20, mm. 25 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Mm. All this stuff was just being learned on the spot. And, so again, with intermission, because it's, what's interesting is that it's not, it's, and it's, it's so hard to describe it if you if you haven't been there, because it is really just its own unique beast. But it's not just a theatre course; it's not just a theatre school. It is a safe haven for young people, and it's a safe haven for people to get together. You know, it's, it's got a youth club energy to it. Yeah. Um, when you're searching for people to, uh, or people are applying, and you're deciding who to bring on and who and who not to, how much emphasis do you put on people who? are focused on acting or maybe a career in that business and how much focus do you put on kids who maybe they don't have the experience or as much of an interest in acting but they clearly maybe need that level of support and how do you kind of weigh up what's more important when you're screening so it's not really it's not about acting at all and you, you could be a testament to that in terms of you know your when you apply for the organization uh we don't ask young people to audition and mm. when it's about acting that's the first thing that your young person has to do show you their talent in terms of you know acting but for us it's not what they it's not if they're good actors or not it's where they are in their life um how this organization might be able to support them and what they can give as well because you know there needs to be an exchange it's not just you know for for me it's about you know um uh, uh building an attitude of of gratitude in young people as well particularly now there's so much going on in the world and you know social media which I still don't think we've 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 clocked yet do you know what I mean in terms of how it's changing society and how it's impacting on our young people uh, mental well-being and, and health and everything like that. So for me, it's, intermission is about 
building resilient mindsets. Do you know what I mean? And and seeing what the dangers are right now for young people and how we can equip them to be able to live a fruitful and fulfilling life. Yeah. It's more it's you know, acting is secondary. Mm. And for me I always say if you can encourage a, a young person to become the best version of themselves, then they'll be the best whatever they want to be. Yeah. Whether that's an actor, whether that's a you know a window blower, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know whatever. No, it's such you a be, good cause. You, you, right. you, you can be the best of it, best yeah. of it because you've got that confidence. Do you know what I mean? And you've yeah. got you've got a mindset that 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 knows how to navigate themselves through this world, which is extremely complicated right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just getting harder and harder, right? As yeah. you know, more young people come up. That was kind of I was actually going to be one of my questions to you: was how do you measure success within within intermission? But as you've kind of just touched on that, but I don't I don't measure it, you know. And this is a thing that I have a lot of I get a lot of um, frustration with funders because when we're we're applying for funding and stuff, they want they want to see clear lines. Do you know what I mean? Like, how many people are going to be on TV? How many people are going to do? Yeah, all exactly. that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And they they're trying to. To, to narrow the program down to a, to a shorter time span, like six months, because you come to intermission, you do a year, and then through a conversation, and f- you know, and through kind of uh, the team having a look at that young person, we decide whether or not with them, they need to do a second year. But you know, some funders are like, if the project's not working, if we don't see this within six months, it's deemed to be a failure. I'm like, you know, what what, what un, un, under what mm-hmm. rules and measurements are you doing that? Do you see what I'm saying? I can tell you a young kid that started with us in 2008, and in five years, he did five years. He was a, the per, he, he did the longest time on the youth theatre project. But after those five years, he's a working father. He's got two kids. You know, he does delivery driving jobs. But if you'd have saw him five years ago, you would say that's a massive, massive mm. success story. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then there's somebody else who did a year and is in Hollywood now doing, you know what I mean, doing bits. And that's his own success. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, success, success is, is, relative. is relative. It is, yeah, yeah. So, you it know, is. when people tell me, uh, how do you measure it? I say, I don't. It's down to that person. Do you know what I mean? I can't say who, what is a su- success for somebody. They can only tell you what is success for them. What's success for you? That's a really good question. Um, do you know what? I suppose success for me, I, f- I feel that my calling is is helping people discover who they really are. Do you know what I mean? And success for me is seeing somebody who I have a relationship with or who I've been involved with in some capacity, um, being able to, I don't want to, I've got to be careful because I'm not saying like, you know, I'm some big hoo-ha or whatever, because it's, it's not it's not about me, you know, it's about that relationship. And if I can impact somebody or if we can impact each other and take an experience from each other that makes us better people, then for me, that's success. Do you know what I mean? Because, mm. I mean, that's a bit wishy-washy, but I really, I am really kind of living my life right now in terms of, you know, being, existing and existing in harmony and peace. Mm. And, and you know, that's what I strive for. Do you know what I mean? I'm always trying to kind of like, if I have a conversation, I'm not saying that we shouldn't argue, of course we're going to argue, we're going to fall out and those kind of things. But I'm always interested in in those negotiations of people because we're all different, right? Mm. We've all got different ideas. We've all got different opinions. And one of the biggest problems in life is when something doesn't go the way you want it to go, there's a problem. So Mm. it's interesting, you know, because I want something to go a certain way and you want something to go a certain way. And so do you. So how do we negotiate that? How do we help each other? You know, and, and so it's compromise, tolerance, all those kind of things. Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest thing that you gave me when I was, when I was part of the cohort, which was just to be present. 
Yeah. And it's so it's so easy to say, but I would I remember I would get so stressed or anxious about things. So that's just naturally how I am. And you'd be like, Ollie Ralph, just it'll be fine. Yeah. Just be be here. And it was and it was just it went way over my head, but it really sank in. It's a really useful skill to be able to pick up that. Massively. And actors do that very well. You mean that you learn in your training as an actor to be present, to constantly mm-hmm. be present. I'm not saying everybody should act, but I also I do really think it should be something that you, doctors can prescribe mm-hmm. because you know there's a lot of mental health going on at the moment, and if you are able to step into other people's shoes and see how your actions affect somebody else or vice versa, mm-hmm. you know it's 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 very therapeutic. It's you know mm-hmm. and to be able to be in the present and not stress about illogical things like you know the past is is gone and the future we don't know. And I know it's that's you know. It, it's easy to say that and it doesn't, you know, when, when you talk mm. about people that are going through serious trauma and pain, it's, you know, it's ignorant to say, you know, just, just live in the present. But mm. listen, man, if you can work towards that, it, it can take you, it can take you places. So how does someone be present? You have to come and do a workshop. <laughs> that's a plug. <laughs> that, is a great, that's a great, that is a great point to say. Um, Sort of uh, just sort of starting to round off in terms of if there was a young person who maybe came from a similar background to you and they were thinking, you know, it's really admirable what you've done. I'd love to do some sort of work with my community or youth work or whatever it might be. What's maybe something what, how, what would you do to set them on that path to say, look, you know, I can't even fathom how I could even go about helping people. What would what would you say? I'd have a conversation with that person and I'd listen to what it is they want to do and I'd respond if somebody said they want to do, you know, and I've had it, somebody says, oh, D, I'd really, want, I want to set up an intermission. I want to do what you've done and set up an intermission. And I'm like, well, you can. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I would have this conversation what we've had today. I told him how I did it and how I started. Um, but I'm very aware that we're living in a different time now. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? And uh, for me to give advice on how I set something up might, might not be the best advice for setting something up today. Mm. So my, what I would say to them is, look, if you want to do it and I've got that time, particularly if I'm in a relationship with you, then let's sit down and work it out together. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I never pretend that I have the answers. I think that's really unhelpful to somebody, you know, when they come and say, oh, dear, I want to do this. Even if they're asking for my advice, you know, for me, it's kind of coaching out of them what they want to do and and letting them reveal their own answer. Mm. Um, because to to um, you know impose your own views and your own opinions on somebody about what it takes to do something, I don't know how how. And I've learned that over time. Do you know what I mean? And one of one young person in intermission taught me a really big lesson. I won't say his name, but you know he's neuro neurodiverse, mm. and he's somebody that would the industry would look at and would not give him the time of day. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because of the way that it's set up and the way that we see talent. Mm. Um, and you can see that he would have a hard time in any kind of social circle mm. that he's in because people don't give him the time of day because he's different. Do you know what I'm saying? And there was a part of me that at one stage was like, I'm doing this kid an injustice because he really wants to be an actor and I don't think that he's, he's, he's going to be one just because of how the industry is. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and you talk you talk to him, you ask him questions, and he would tell you, I'm going to be a famous actor, I'm going to Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? I'm going here, I'm going there. And he would say, nobody could kind of diminish that belief mm. that he had. And we did a production, and he was brilliant in the production in his own way. Do you know what I mean? He smashed it. And he's gone on and he's worked as a professional actor on national television, do you know what I mean, in a series. And I'm like, do you know what? That taught me a massive lesson. And from that day, I said, I'm never going to kind of impose my views or my opinion that on somebody else because 
And society makes us do that mm. because society says, this is how things should be. Mm. This is how you start a business. This is what talent is. This is success. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's very if linear. We, yeah. And if we buy into that, well, we, we're going to miss so much gems, man. Yeah. That That's was, so um, that was a really powerful conversation. Um, thank you for that. Um, we have a little tradition we'd like to, we'd like to do on the, on the show, which is for every guest that we have, obviously the whole point of the podcast is, is sort of, practical advice for people sort of in the early stages or whatever they did what they did um so obviously it's a little bit on the spot so if you want to take some time that's fine but uh we'd like to say if there was any one piece of advice that you could give someone who might be looking to start anything could be a creative career or a business or charity anything but looking to do their own thing um what's one piece of practical advice you'd give them um could be to do with funding hiring negotiating anything literally anything um but something less mindset focused and more sort of hands-on that you might say um that's a tough question because I'm not sure what it depends what it is they want to do. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like setting up a company to to put it on a play is two different things. But I suppose I would, if I was to give one piece of advice that was about actioning, I would say to set yourself a target of whatever it is that you want to do and then create a um a board whether that's your friends or or people that you trust uh, in and and have skills in what it is you want to do and make them hold you accountable to what it is you want that first step that you want to take mm. so whether that's four or five people um and you talk to them about what it is you want to do and if that first step is i want to write a play then that that core that you've put together says, you know, they're onto you and they say, well, this is your deadline and, and they're always checking in with you, making sure you're doing what you're doing. Because I think if you have somebody or people to hold you accountable, mm. I think it makes things a lot easier. I think, mm. you know, there's it, it so much distraction in this world. It's so easy so to true. come off track. So I really think it's about having people around you that can, you know, kind of keep you on that streamline and keep you focused. Mm. So, yeah. Getting, getting a group of people together to hold you accountable. That's Amazing. a really good piece of advice. Immensely valuable. That really is. Uh, Darren, thank you so much. Uh, the floor is yours. Intermission, it's such an amazing organization. Where can people find you? Here's your chance to plug. Oh gosh, that's the worst, worst thing to tell me. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put all the information in the bio <laughs> and everything. You've got to talk to the um, young people. I'll put, we'll, we'll, we'll get Barney to put it, put it on the screen and everything oh, as well. We but uh, if you have any message you want to say to anyone anyone listening, uh, you know, about what you do or what Intermission does, the floor is yours. Nah, not much, man. I would say thank you for this, you know, this opportunity to talk to you guys um this is a lovely moment obviously because ollie came through our youth theater um and i think he's an immensely talented young man and you know to see you kind of creating narratives that are helping other young people the both of you all, all three of you is is brilliant i mean we you know if we have more people like this in the world it'll be we'll be, we'll be going in the right direction so more power to you guys, man. And, and it's it's lovely to be the first one on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's an immensely flattering thing to say. And, uh, you know, you've you've had such a big impact on my life and you've been a mentor to me and a friend to me. And um, and I wouldn't be where I am today without intermission. That's without without any hesitation in saying that. Um, and so when it came down to the first guest, I was like, it's a no brainer. It had to be you. So, oh, well, we you know, you know, I got love for you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Like it's been much. a real pleasure. Thank you. Man. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Really thank good to meet you. you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe. <laughs> Check us out on social media um, at TGF pod on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for watching. Thank guys. you.